getting ready to drop into an Olympic run. You're thinking about doing that perfect run, envisioning it. You know, I always like to think about my run, take three deep breaths and drop in before I thought about it too much. So uh, I'm sure I was doing that at the moment and just trying to go for it. Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, how a kid from a small town in Vermont dreamed big, defied the odds, and ended up winning the first United States medal in snowboarding. Snowboarding. When I think of some of the best times in my life, they're on a snowboard. With my girlfriend, who became my wife, with my kids, trapped on a chairlift with me, forced to sit without screens and actually talk, with my bestest of friends. Snowboarding has kept me and the friends I knew from as little as four years old together. What up, Matt Cooper? It's a major reason I moved to Colorado, and I can still remember the Bluebird February day at the T-Rex bar at Copper Mountain, drinking beers, sitting in an Andorondack chair with classic rock blaring while I sunburned my face. That's the moment I knew I was moving to Colorado, and there was a snowboard on my feet. And now I have a whole group of new friends respectable ones who we ride with, laugh with, plan epic trips with, snowboard with our kids, and travel the world, using snowboarding as the excuse and the glue that binds us. Matter of fact, I snowboarded this morning. Yes, it's a Tuesday, but uh, made a quick run up to Loveland uh, to meet up and talk brand with friends and colleagues. It was actually a business meeting, I swear. And we laughed how snowboarding and, and skiing is the new golf course. At least it is for us. And while snowboarding is a worldwide pastime, it is truly an American sport. And the United States seems to anecdotally have the biggest influence at the resort, but when it comes to the Olympics, the numbers don't lie. Snowboarding made its debut in the Olympics in Nagano, Japan in the 1998 Winter Games. And in the 20 years that snowboarding has been in the Olympics, the U.S. has won 31 medals more than double the second place nation, Switzerland, who has 13, followed by France with 12 and our Canadian friends to the north with 11. Only 120 medals have ever been awarded, ever, in snowboarding. That's male and female. It's an extremely exclusive club. And today's guest, Ross Powers, was numero uno, number one as far as the United States was concerned, the first medal of those precious 31 He's the first Olympic medalist we've had on this show and the first I've ever interviewed, and I am stoked. I can't wait to share this one with you. And as you're about to hear, Ross is humble and soft-spoken. I mean, he doesn't sound like a pro snowboarder, whatever that's supposed to mean, but you know what I mean, right? And don't let his humble demeanor fool you. Ross is a stone-cold competitor and has set the standard for what it means to be a pro snowboarder. In 2002, he led the U.S. sweep in the 2002 Winter Olympics men's halfpipe competition just one day after his 23rd birthday. This is the first time the Americans have swept a Winter Olympic event since the men's figure skaters in 1956. Powers, with a score of 46.1, dominated the competition. In case there's any question, that was a gold medal. During his final run, Powers dropped in and aired out with an 18-foot method grab, which is a world record at that time, and followed up with two McTwists, a cab 720 indie grab, a frontside 720 indie grab, and a switch frontside air. During his time, Ross Powers was known as one of the most high-profile figures on the halfpipe snowboard circuit, competing in events in the U.S. and Europe, the Vans Triple Crown, and the X Games. Hey, and a little heads up, we get talking a little technical here and we talk about competitive snowboarding a bunch. In case you don't know, half pipe, it's just like it sounds, a huge long bowl or half pipe carved into the snow and the focus is on aerial tricks and you are judged on their overall difficulty. 
Snowboard Cross, also known as Border Cross, is a snowboard competition in which four to six competitors race down a course. Uh, and, and the snowboard cross courses are typically quite narrow and have these big banking turns and jumps and berms and rollers and drops and steeps and flat sections. It's all designed to challenge the rider's ability to stay in control while maintaining maximum speed. And I think the real benefit is it's super fun to watch because there's a lot of collisions and a lot of crashing. And uh, we talk about that as well and uh, a lot of fun. And with that, this is Ross Powers. So Ross, it's it's 1998 and we're in Nagano, Japan, and you're about to drop into the half pipe. What are you thinking about? Getting ready to drop into an Olympic run. You're you're thinking about doing that perfect run, envisioning it, and then you know, I always like to think about my run take three deep breaths and drop in before I thought about it too much. So uh, I'm sure I was doing that at the moment and uh, just trying to go for it. You know, there was a couple times in my career where I remember talking to myself during my run, you know, you kind of block out, you know, the crowd, everything going on, but like, okay, you got to land, you got to land, uh, you know, this run, just finish this run out, you got to land. And, uh, you know, Nagano was a time where snowboarding, it was, uh, best two runs combined. So that was a tricky format. You had to be really consistent. Um, the half pipe was, I want to say around, you know, probably 16 feet back then. So, you know, a lot smaller than today's pipe. And, but yeah, it was an amazing group of riders back then and everyone pushing it. We were kind of out in the mountains, not the best weather, but, uh, I actually didn't realize how big the Olympics were until I got home. I, was gone for so long doing the qualifications at the Olympics, kind of went home a little early from a trip after and I got home and it was like, oh my gosh, it's, uh, couldn't even go to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old were you when that you meddled in the Olympics? Uh, 19. I think I had my birthday the night before uh, the competition. So it was a pretty nice birthday present. So you're 19 years old and you are the first US Olympian to medal in snowboarding. So that must have been quite a burden to bring home to to Vermont. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit that you didn't really realize what a big deal it was, but you know, how else did it affect your life? And, and what else were you thinking about once you realized, oh my gosh, like I, I just made history? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, amazing. I came home and it was like, everyone kind of reaches out from all your childhood, not all of them, but you know, childhood teachers to friends to everyone and you know it was just you know a lot of people before it was like snowboarding but once it was in the olympics it just became that much bigger to so many people and um you know i grew up right in south londonderry a small town so little grocery store that kind of stuff i know most people and wherever i went you know everyone wanted to chat about it which was awesome but it was like i had to plan my days accordingly because uh if i went somewhere it was going to take a lot longer than it usually did <laughs> well, and, and certainly you didn't wake up a uh, Olympian. When did you see your first snowboard? Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, I'll never forget my first snowboard. Um, my mom worked and still does work at Bromley Mountain. She worked there, works there in the cafeteria. And um, it was Christmas Day. Gosh, I was in third grade. I want to say 1987, probably maybe 80 yeah 87 or 88 and she got my brother and I uh elite 130 a Burton elite 130 to share for Christmas and went out in the backyard that morning and then went to work with my mom that day rainy day Bromley Mountain I think there was probably two or three of us out on the slopes I was the only snowboarder and probably spent more time sliding down on my butt than I did uh snowboarding but fell in love with it and uh from that day on that's Snowboarding has been a big part of my life. <laughs> and certainly maybe the next day or the day after when you went out on the, the mountain, there was hundreds of other snowboards out there, correct? Uh, no, you know, it, <laughs> you know, when I, I got started, it was, uh, uh, Bromley. There was, I think that first year, I remember you had to go up and you had to get certified. You had to, there was one trail you were allowed to go on with a snowboard. And then if you were thought you were good enough to go on the rest of the mountain, you had to, uh, buy a certification thing and you'd go up with a there was two instructors one of the two and you know they'd rank your riding and let you know if you were ready to go on the other parts of the mountain or not so uh 
snowboarding was actually pretty big at Bromley compared to a lot of places because Burton Snowboards at the time was right down the road in Manchester, about 15 minutes away. So, you know, I'd say compared to a lot of resorts out there, um, you know, snowboarding got a real early start in our area because of Burton and uh, Stratton having the U.S. Open and, and taking, you know, letting snowboarders um, be a part of their mountain early in the early in the snowboard days. Yeah. And when you say like more popular, I mean, help us like paint the picture because certainly, you know, we're out today and, you know, it's like 50-50 on the mountain and snowboarders have a very uh, deep culture. We have our own, you know, there's our own clothing. Burton is this, you know, flagship brand that really sets the pace and lets us kind of do our own thing. But it wasn't always that way. And maybe you can also, you know, just go a little deeper in painting that picture of what, what was going on in snowboarding at the time. I mean, what was happening with this? And if you could see me now, I'm putting sport in uh, air quotes. <laughs> you know, the year before I started riding, the first time I saw snowboarding on the mountain, it was uh, one of the lift attendants at the end of the day. Um, they'd let them come down. And then, you know, then Bromley kind of started the snowboard program. I think they hired two instructors, uh, Kurt Myers and uh, the guy Tyler. And they were, you know, they would do some instructing. So pretty much back then, you'd, you'd love to ride with those guys if you could. And, you know, anytime the Burton crew came up, but usually there'd only be a, you know, handful of snowboarders on the mountain. And, you know, you'd always kind of bond and meet each other and ride and, you know, push each other to the tricks you were doing back then, catching some air and everything. And now you have all these amazing parks and stuff to ride back then you'd try to find a little hit on the side of a lift tower and then once you start hitting it ski patrol would mark it off so it was uh it was hard to find uh even little jumps back then uh side hits we call them <laughs> and was that elite 130 was that the one with like the little notched swallowtail and like the metal fin on the bottom yeah it was right after the burton performer um so it didn't have the metal fin but yes you were right with uh yeah the swallowtail on the back and just kind of a stiff uh pointy board um and it had the kind of colored safari graphics <laughs> those bindings if i remember at least i think i might either had an elite or a performer is my first board that i bought like fifth hand but it had like you know the bindings were just that kind of plastic shell on the back with like fast tech buckles in the front and certainly there wasn't really snowboarding boots and so i wore sorels as i was learning uh you know learning to snowboard in michigan was that was that the same situation for you yeah same thing you know the bindings yeah real kind of stiff and um yeah sorels were the key back then and then you got the idea you um find an old pair of ski boot liners and put those in your sorels and then made it for a little bit stiffer and uh yeah that's what i gosh i think back to this picture back then i the the Sorrells, the woolly pants, the, you know, just, oh gosh. Yeah. I think it's important for everyone listening to realize, I mean, there, you know, you might've had a board and that was, you know, that was at least something, but there wasn't all this snowboard specific gear. There weren't boots and like all these, you know, it just was, you know, it's fledgling at that time and, and, and super fun. And so, you know, you're on, you're on your elite. You've definitely got the bug. You're like, I, I love this. Like what happens next? Yeah. You know, I rode Bromley a lot and then, uh, Stratton Mountain's not too far from Bromley and they had, you know, Stratton had the U.S. Open, Burton's U.S. Open going on. They had, um, they actually had a, a snowboard program. Uh, Susie Ruick, who rode for Burton, she started coaching in the Stratton Allegro program is what it was called. It was a little training competition program. She let me join and do that a little bit. And she also ran the Green Mountain Series, which became a USASA um, series and kind of early, one of the early amateur snowboard series. So right at the mountains locally and with, you know, her training program, I was able to kind of get with a good group of riders and, you know, start doing some events. Back then it was a lot of alpine events just because mountains weren't building half pipes or any of that kind of stuff. And so I did that my second year, um, you know, part-time with Susie, but doing some of the events and made it on to nationals. And I know in fourth grade, because my teacher brought my class up, I did my first U.S. Open. Back then, it, was, it wasn't what it was is now. You People would go up and anyone could do the qualifiers in the morning. And then, you know, the pros and the people that qualified did the finals in the afternoon. So I did did that. And, you know, I think I won some junior medals um, at the time. And then I think it was uh, 
fifth grade when I went to my first USASA Nationals out in California. That's the first time I went out west to compete and um, did well in the 12 and under class. And, you know, so just kind of, I like to say I grew up with snowboarding. Um, you know, I was lucky to have Bromley and Burton close by and then Stratton Mountain and Susie Ruick. You know, when I got to high school age, uh, Stratton Mountain School, where I went to high school and where I coach now, they were starting up a, a snowboard program to go along with their Alpine Ski and Nordic programs the year as a freshman. And, you know, so kind of then after my sophomore year, I made it on the U.S. team. It was the first time the uh, U.S. Ski and Snowboard had a team. And then the Fist World Cup started up. So it kind of just kind of grew up with the sport. It seemed like every time there was something new happening, I was kind of right there with it. You know, the first X Games, the first Olympics and all that kind of stuff. So just uh adventurous ride with always something new popping up and something to challenge me and, and uh, try to go for. <laughs> That's so awesome that your uh, teacher brought the class. I don't think I've ever had like, <laughs> you know, class support, but so they must've known at that time that you were, you're at least on to something and worth coming to support. When did you either publicly or just in that little inner voice of yours say, you know what, like, I'm going to make a run at this thing, especially when it comes to world championships, the Olympics. Like, when did you kind of commit and say, like, I, th I think I can do this at, at the highest level? Yeah, you know, it was always my dream. And I remember being in grade school classes when the teachers ask you what you want to be. And I wanted to be a pro snowboarder. And I'd probably say my freshman year at Stratton Mountain School, when I went out to, so USSA, which is now US Ski and Snowboard, they had their first ever you know, no age group nationals and this, these events out in June Mountain, California, um, we're going to determine the first ever U.S. snowboard team. So went out with my coach and my teammates and, you know, I was expecting to do better in the Alpine races because I was, you know, training a lot of that. And so there was a slalom, a GS and a half pipe. And I think I got seventh in the slalom, 10th in the GS. And then on the half pipe day, I won the half pipe, um, you know, just rode well. And at the time was, did a frontside 720 and some stuff. And, you know, that got me on the U S team. And then that next year when they were starting up the fist world cup, the U S team, we traveled, um, doing those competitions and, you know, I had some success. I was getting on the podium a lot, winning. I won a couple of them, you know, I'd say that's when I won some prize money and that and all that kind of stuff so that was like the first uh you know the combination of making the u.s team but then you know doing the world cups that next year and 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 doing well and making some money i'm like oh yeah this is uh it was just i didn't think about it too much because i just love what i was doing but i just you know kept at it and working hard and always trying new tricks and um pushing myself at the contests yeah. And you alluded to this a little bit, but I think like sometimes, um, I'm not sure if it's the media or the way that snowboarders are portrayed today, but they get sort of a bad rap in terms of like preparation and Hey, they're just all hanging out and like, they're not, you know, talk to me a little bit about what it takes in terms of your preparation and what it actually takes to be an Olympic athlete in snowboarding. You know, everyone's different in snowboarding and has their own style and some have to work harder than others. But, uh, you know, for me, I always put in the time and worked hard and, and going to Stratton Mountain School, you're, you know, kind of doing a lot of physical training and stuff like that. So, you know, it was just something I always kind of did. And, um, you know, I think the most important is, you know, putting time in on the snow and loving snowboarding and pushing yourself and learning new tricks. But, uh, you know, as the half pipes and jumps have grown and especially to where they're at now, you have to really, you know, be in good shape to take those landings and, um, you know, be able to have a hopefully long, long career. You know, where I was going with that too is, I mean, you know, I have to believe it takes an incredible amount of preparation, practice, and it's not just like showing up on a Saturday and hitting the pipe and whipping some tricks. I mean, it, it, it takes quite a bit of dedication to, to perform at that level. You know, the pro snowboarders, I mean, it's a, it's a full time job. You're taking care of yourself. You're planning out your, you know, your schedule, you're going to training sessions, you're, you know, get into those events and, you know, especially the right ones to, you know, hopefully do well and accomplish your goals and, and move on to bigger, better events. So, uh, you know, I'd say always with the U.S., um, the qualification for the Olympics is the hardest part, I think. Um, there are so many good U.S. riders and they have a Grand Prix series and, 
you know, they still do. And, um, you know, the U.S. riders have always been successful at the Olympics, so they keep it going. But you have these Grand Prix events leading up right before the Olympics. Um, you know, some people can qualify early if they do really well, but some people are, you know, you don't know until... 10 days, two weeks before the Olympics. So you're putting all your effort into those. And then, you know, when you make the team, if you do, it's like, all right, the hard part's over. Now I just got to go and give it, give it my all and put it on the line and kind of whatever happens, happens. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned going pro. And, you know, I think that also a lot of people today, you know, they see someone like Sean White hop out of a helicopter, or get out of a fancy car. And, you know, and there's, there's certainly a lot of endorsement deals and a lot of money around pro snowboarding. But like you mentioned that when you were in, in grade school, you're like, your dream was to go pro. I mean, what did that look like at that time? Like, what did going pro mean? I think I was in fifth grade when I got my a letter from Jake Burton, a one-page letter that was wanted me to ride for him, and he'd give me a you know a board and a one setup for the year, and you know it kind of grew from there. So at the time, I I mean I was a sponsored rider, but uh, you know I worked my way up to where it was some more equipment, and then you know then it was some help with some entry fees, and then it was you know some incentives from you know, doing well at events or, you know, photos and magazines, that kind of stuff. And then it was a travel budget. And then, you know, and then, you know, finally it was a salary and a travel budget and kind of grew over the years. So, uh, but yes, I would consider someone that makes a living at something is a pro athlete. I know there's many amazing people out there that, you know, probably don't that are as good as some of the pros, but, uh, you know, that's kind of what I consider a, a pro athlete, someone that, that, does it for a living and can support themselves. And as a kid in Vermont, snowboarding, I mean, that just must have been amazing to get that letter. I mean, tell me like what that meant to you to get that letter and then probably to meet Jake himself and and be a part of that family and that community. Yeah, I get I mean, getting the letter was so cool and you know, getting Burton product and uh, you know, luckily Burton was right down the road and you know, my favorite thing was to go into the shop and talk to the guys there. Emmett Manning still working with Burton, uh, Mikey Lavecchia, um, worked at Burton for a long time. So go down and chat with those guys and, you know, watch the videos, check out the magazines and, uh, JG and some of the guys that I think he's, yeah, he's definitely still at Burton too. He'd, uh, you know, he'd let my mom grab a board for me to use on the weekend. If there was a GS coming up, he'd let me use a race board and, and stuff like that from the demo fleet. And uh, so, you know, they just always supported me and, you know, it was a good kind of relationship from the beginning. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're doing well, you're competing. At what point do you go to Stratton Mountain School? I went to Stratton Mountain School my freshman year in high school. So I was 14, 15. And that was a big opportunity because instead of you know, just riding on weekends and holidays and, you know, the Tuesday afternoon gist day around our area. I got to ride the train most days. Um, how the schedule works uh, is you, 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 you're with your coach in the morning and you're out training, riding, and then you come back, have lunch and, and go to school in the afternoon. Um, so I was on snow, gosh, I mean, probably six days a week, you know, train mostly during the week do events on weekends or go ride with friends if there wasn't events. And then, you know, if, if you are competing on the weekends, you should take Monday off or something like that of, of training, of riding. But, uh, we were riding a lot. It was, uh, that year there was five of us and just to kind of have a coach to get us around, get us to events, um, let us know what we were doing. And then just, I like to say it's, you know, having a group and pushing one another in that fun, friendly way. That's, uh, the best way to learn stuff. For people that don't know, Stratton Mountain School, I mean, at least from my perspective, and I'd love to hear, hear your thoughts on it, it's, it's an Olympian factory. I mean, that's where, where people go to really blend scholastics and their love for um, winter sports. Um, it, has it always, it's always been like that, right? I mean, that's kind of what it's known for. Yeah, no, it started out as, yeah, Ski Academy and I think with Alpine and they brought on Nordic and then uh, um, snowboarding uh, since I've been back coaching there. Um, free ski and also freestyle moguls, um, you know, are part of the programs now. And, you know, when I went there, it was kind of an old beat up hotel, um, right across the mountain from Stratton and walk over the mountain, everything. 
but now it's a you know top notch campus, um, academic buildings, dorm buildings, gyms. We even have a air awareness building with super trampoline, Olympic trampolines, foam pit, skate park. It's uh, I mean, it's unbelievable what it's come. And and one of the coolest things, you know, like you were saying, is at the beginning it was just a lot of it was about the sports, and and now I mean they've always cared about academics, but now the academics are you know, really high end and, and kids getting in. I mean, it's amazing the list of schools they get into on a yearly basis for a small school like we have with, uh, you know, 130 kids or so. One of the coolest things, I think, it's like the student athlete package now. Like a lot of the best athletes are also the best students. And it's, it's, it's amazing what these kids uh, can accomplish. Yeah. And so when you went, was there anything around that uh, journey to, to Stratton? Like, I mean, was it difficult to get in? Did you have trouble paying for it as a kid? Like, or was it just like, hey, it's in my backyard and, and I'm going to go to Stratton? Yeah, I think, uh, well, Scott Palmer, um, I believe he grew up around the area and worked at Burton, rode for Burton. I think he was up coaching with Eric Webster the year before up at Carabasset Valley Academy. Um, they had an early snowboard program, a lot of good riders, Jeremy Jones, Mark Fawcett. Um, uh, a lot of those guys were up there. And, uh, you know, Scott, I think uh, the headmaster at SMS must, must have reached out to him. He was starting a program. He knew I was local. Um, so I think he reached out to my mom. So it wasn't, getting in wasn't the hard part but yes the the expense um luckily i lived in south londonderry and we don't have a high school in our right in our area so the town gives and still does gives uh kids money to go to high school um you know they come up with an amount and whatever that amount is whatever high school they choose and then you know stratton mountain school um definitely gave gave me a grant to, you know, help with the other parts of it. But I, and then I did some stuff around the school. I remember in the summers riding my bike up there and washing windows and vacuuming and everything else just to, you know, help pay for, you know, school. Yeah, so, so cool. So you get the bronze in Japan and you come back. How are you feeling about that? You, you know, you certainly go through this uh, amazing experience. Like, oh my gosh, I'm the first uh, snowboarder to win or to win a medal uh, in the Olympics. But then you've got uh, Salt Lake coming up, and what do you think? Well, after Nagano, I came home, and you know, we talked about how it was kind of crazy. And at, at that point, you know, I felt like I missed out a little bit on the Olympics. You know, we left a little early, didn't stay for closing ceremonies. I got to go to a couple events over there, some hockey games, stuff like that. And I kind of, you know, set my sights on the next Olympics and told myself, if I ever go again, I am doing the whole thing. Opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, going to as many events as I can and, uh, you know, hoping to get that full experience. Also in Japan, we competed up in the mountains. We just stayed in a hotel with you know, all the snowboarders that were competing in the different events. So it kind of felt like a world cup. And then we got to go to down to the Olympic village for a few days. You know, I was hoping if I made Salt Lake, I would, you know, get more of the experience and check out so much more. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about that full Olympic experience. I mean, what don't we know about it? You've alluded to some things, but what don't we know and about that experience? You know, you just see some of it and hear about stuff. And, you know, the opening ceremonies are amazing. Just the presentation they put on and, you know, walking into the stadium, especially in, in Salt Lake, just cause we were the last ones to walk in home soil. It was, uh, that was, that was awesome. Um, and then, yeah, really focusing on your event. That's what you're there for. I guess I'll skip forward to Salt Lake. Now we were there. It's perfect weather, perfect half pipe, the best one we've ridden at the time, 18 footer compared to today's 22 foot, but bigger than it was in Nagano and a lot bigger than the 12 footer that we started out with when the pipe dragons were built. And even before that, when we started out, you know, just a snowcat pushing up walls. And then it went to, you know, one of the guys, actually local guys around here, Lyle Blaisdale started cutting the Stratton pipe with an excavator. So I remember waiting and all day for him to cut that and be able to get and ride that up at Stratton. That was awesome. But anyway, yeah, Salt Lake was amazing time. Just, uh, I remember hiking up the pipe the day of the event. My saw my mom and brother. I like to tell this story cause it's kind of funny and it's, and we're hiking up. I see my mom and brother and I'm like, mom, what are you doing tonight? 
because you know i i was going to give it my all but i didn't I mean, I wanted to win the thing, but I didn't. She's like, "Oh, I'm going to the award ceremony." I'm like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Yeah, that day, you know, everyone was kind of pushing it. It was just a a great day. I, Danny, JJ, and I, all the three of us that podium that day, we fell and did not make the first qualification. Tommy Shashin, one of our other teammates, he did, and then uh, so we then we landed our second runs, got in, made it to the finals. Practice was going okay for me. I wanted to do something special. And, you know, my plan was to try to do the biggest air I've ever done and uh, up there and dropping in and just went for it. Everything kind of worked out, dropped in, did the biggest air I've ever done, did a method. And, you know, to me, it's always been my favorite trick in snowboarding. And it's just kind of a timeless trick, kind of the same as like a whip on a motorcycle. It's just, uh, you know, something that will always be. Part of snowboarding, and it's cool to do and a cool feeling. Followed up with a good run and landed. And after the first run, I was I was sitting in the lead. And second run comes, and I went pretty early because I didn't do the best in qualification and pushed it a little more in my second run. Went for some bigger tricks and uh, fell and got down to the bottom and kind of sitting there and still had the lead, but I had to wait out so many good riders and runs and uh you know just hanging out there with my coaches and cheering on my teammates and and then for Danny and JJ to come down and the whole you know winning the gold but also sweeping it with my teammates and doing it on US soil you know this was not too long after 911 so there's just a lot of you know support uh from everyone in our country and just amazing amazing day and time it was cool when you are in the Olympics, do you just have free reign to to go big, to do the tricks you want? Like, what's that dynamic? Or are you talking as a team and saying, you know, your coach is saying, hey, you can do this, you can't do this? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of up to you. You definitely make a plan with your coach on on your run. And, uh, you know, I all sports are probably different. But in snowboarding, it's uh, you kind of talk to your coach you have quite a few training days leading up to the event. So you kind of really work on the runs and certain tricks you want to do. Sometimes a plan is to, you know, kind of do a safety run, put down a run. So you at least have a score and then, you know, push it harder on your, your next run or pretty much anytime you put down a run. I always think to try to push it harder for sure. If you are, you, you want to do the best you can and always keep improving. So, um, but yeah, yeah. Talk to your coach, come up with a plan and then just, Go for it. <laughs> and I have to imagine that the first time and the second time and the third time you heard the words Ross Powers, Olympic gold medalist. I mean, like what went through your head? Like, like how did that change your life? You know, that day was crazy. It was like, you know, after the event, you have to go do all the drug testing, everything else. And then you're rushing down to Salt Lake to, you know, do the interviews, get ready for the award ceremonies. And then, you know, that night was a time just for, gosh, celebrating with teammates, friends, families. I mean, you know, everyone is out there and it was uh, definitely an amazing, amazing time and you enjoy the moment, but it all goes, it goes fast. Kelly Clark won the Olympics the day, she won the half pipe, the female half pipe the day before. So her and I, you know, got to do some cool stuff. You know, I knew I wanted to, stay and do closing ceremonies but you know some opportunities came up where we left utah for a few days we got to go to the daytona 500 and we were you know got to be out with the drivers during their opening ceremonies got to go to the drivers meeting that was really cool uh, meeting a bunch of them and and checking out their world and then uh up to new york did letterman and a bunch of other stuff and then uh actually went back to Utah and, and went to different events. Got to go to some, you know, some of the big hockey games. That was awesome. And then got to do my closing ceremonies that I wanted to do. And uh, it was a wild time after that because I was still there. Were still several snowboard events I was doing, uh, U.S. Open stuff like that. It was just 
you kind of learn to do everything on no sleep because it was kind of like back and forth from LA to New York and then you jump to a contest and then so just doing different media things and um, sponsor obligations and you know still trying to ride and compete but uh and celebrate whenever you saw your friends or family, that kind of stuff. So it was a, it went by fast. It was a busy, crazy time. <laughs> what was maybe a downside that you didn't expect from the gold medal? I don't know. You know, I kind of got my taste and after Nagano. So, you know, I kind of knew what to expect and how to deal with um, a lot of things. I mean, you're always kind of in the spotlight wherever you go. So you just got to really, you know, be positive and and work hard and do your stuff for sure because everyone's watching <laughs> yeah after the the gold you went on and you then shifted into border cross is that correct yeah after well 2002 was the gold um i kept competing in in snowboard uh half pipe for quite a while i think in 2006 was maybe my last year i gave the Torino Olympics a run in half pipe um you know I was doing pretty well I got second in one of the qualifiers behind Sean White I needed one other good result ended up missing it by by one spot so I was the alternate which was hard because you know it it was the Olympics were cool and you know I had my but I had my success it was uh so I went over there as the alternate uh didn't didn't get to ride or anything but cheered on my teammates and it was great seeing you know sean win danny get another medal hannah teeter um everyone over there they you know kept all the success going just the u.s has always been strong and snowboard half pipe which is really cool and that was the first olympics that had border cross so got to cheer on my friend seth west got him and i he went to cva i was at sms we you know grew up racing gates together riding half pipe and you know he went on with border cross i did it a little bit but it was over there he's like you know we you grew up racing you'd probably you'd be great at border cross you should do some and so i kind of you know like maybe i'll try this out did it a little bit it was much harder than it looks uh I got I got into an X Games pretty early and went there and it was just like I didn't have the equipment they had and you know I could hit the jumps and do all that but just doing it at that speed and you know making the move so quickly I I had had some some time to I had to work on it for sure so so I had to go down to the um, you know NORAM level start doing some competitions uh, Ross Hinman uh, he coached at SMS in the past but. He was um, kind of specializing in border cross coaching, worked with him some, went to the events, and then actually did well enough to, when a U.S. World Cup came about, the U.S. gets some extra spots due to hosting and uh, went up to Sunday River. And uh, actually, my first World Cup back of the border cross, I, I got a podium. I never even got one at the NORAM level, so it was kind of crazy to hop right up there with the best guys after working and and get a podium my first event so that was cool that helped me and then that helped me get on the u.s you know b team so i was then you know back with peter foley he uh he's the head um u.s team coach and border cross coach and he was actually the coach uh when i first made the team when i was a sophomore in high school so uh it was um cool being back with him and just his knowledge is great and being with all the guys Westcott and oh gosh so many of them Nate Holland Nick Baumgartner Alex Diebold Jason Hale uh, McGinney so many uh guys and just getting in that environment of just riding with friends pushing one another and you know I did well enough I focused on border cross for up until the next Olympics I I guess it was Vancouver I you know I was giving it a run got another world cup podium they were taking your best result and then uh so mine was a, a third place that i got out in Telluride, and then some other guys got some wins and seconds and so it came down to the third place result nick baumgartner had a third place sean palmer had a third place and i had a third place and uh so they went to your second result and uh nick had an eighth i had a ninth and palmer had like a 12th or a 13th so nick went it was so close and at the last qualifier up in Stoneham. I was actually winning heats. I was winning my heat and I, I fell. And if I would have just finished that run, I would have, I would have, you know, had a better than a ninth place finish and would have got to go. So unfortunately I was the alternate again. So uh, 
two Olympics where I got to go and then two where I was the alternate. So I went over there and cheered on my teammates again and had a good time. And, and then it was uh, from that third place podium and, and my results that year, I actually got asked to be on the, the A team of the U.S. border cross team. And that was the same time where my current job uh, offering was at Stratton Mountain School was coming up to be the snowboard program director. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a hard decision at first, but uh, realistically, board across is a hard way to make a living. And, you know, I have a wife and two daughters. And so I went with uh, coaching at Stratton Mountain School and I'm already on my ninth year and enjoying it and love working with the kids. So... <laughs> Was it the that last podium spot? Was that where there's a little bit of a a fun story around uh, someone who came up through the Ross Powers Foundation actually beat you out? Yeah, so my foundation I started up uh, years ago helps athletes with financial needs so they can get to a, events and have a fair chance and uh, you know as fair as possible chance in competition. Border cross isn't the easiest way to make a living, and they're out there working hard, training hard, and a lot of the events are overseas so you know over the years helped out quite a few of those guys but yeah nick Baumgartner, who beat out palmer and i he was uh someone that we've we've helped so you know it's 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 cool to see all these you know guys that work hard and the ones that you know have come up through my foundation and you know there's so many people that support them you know their families themselves uh u.s ski and snowboard but you know sometimes my foundation gives them the extra bit to hopefully get to that event and have a real, you know, help them with their career and chances and, and all that. I don't want to take all the credit, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, I've helped some people in the past that have definitely, uh, beat me at events. So it's, uh, but that's, you know, it's cool. You know, I was always that guy, um, you know, when the next generation of half pipe guys, riders were coming up, I'd always try to, you know, help them and, and get them started and try to teach them the tricks and talk to them about what I've learned and, and all that. So, you know, snowboarding, it's always been, you know, from those days where you, you meet the only other snowboarders out on the hill to, you know, Olympic days, just everyone's out there for the same reason and, you know, loving the sport. And it's just a cool sport to be a part of. Yeah. And is that the impetus for Level uh, Field Fund? I mean, is that why you started it? Um, Actually, Level Field Fund, I started it, you know, I definitely had my financial challenges, you know, growing up and trying to attend certain things and people helped me along the way. Um, how it all happened was uh, Scott Palmer, who was my coach at Stratton Mountain School, there was a, a boy that was trying to be in the program and you know Scott reached out and asked me if I would donate some money to help him hit the mark so he could go to Stratton Mountain School. And uh, he's someone who grew up riding Bromley and actually a good friend of mine now and helps us run the USASA Southern Vermont Series, uh, Tyler Emond. And he went on to be a great halfpipe rider, make it on the U.S. team and, you know, be a pro rider. So he's after uh, my good friend, Peter Carlisle, who's my agent at the time, he heard about that. And he's like, if that's something you want to do, I can help you, you know, start a foundation. And so it was really him uh, helping me get it started and, and doing that. We've been raising money, helping athletes ever since. I want to say that was probably in 1990. Nine, I probably helped Tyler in 2001 officially got my foundation 50C1 C3 status. Um, so yeah, you know, it's been a been a good run for sure. Yeah, how much have you uh, awarded in grants up at this point? Uh, I think right now, now we're probably between like 550 and 600 thousand that we've given out. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible to think about. Yeah, yeah, we oh yeah, we raise what we can. We you know do some try to do some fun events to raise some money, some golf tournaments, you know, poker tournaments during the Vermont Open or U.S. Open, whatever was held at Stratton. And uh, you know, my sponsors used to kick in when I was riding pro, and and now we've kind of taken the Ross Powers Foundation and and turned it into the Level Field Fund because you know a lot of athletes want to support other athletes within their sport, their state whatever it is. So some people uh, have come on board, um, you know, probably the biggest name, Michael Phelps. So Michael Phelps has his foundation, which supports different parts of swimming, but he supports athletes with financial need through the level field fund. So that's really cool. Seth Westcott's on board. He, you know, likes to help out the main athletes and just, you know, a bunch of athletes uh, help out and raise money to give to other athletes in need. 
That's incredible. And this might, you might've just answered it, but when it comes to snowboarding, what are you most proud of? As far as snowboard events, uh, you know, winning the gold, that's the biggest one for me. The U S open was an event that I grew up watching as a kid and then competing, you know, since I was in fourth grade through most of the years. So be able to win the U S open Burton's event at Stratton friends and family, everyone there. I had the Pleasure of doing that in 1999 and also 2003. And so that was, that's big up on the list. 1999, I actually won X Games gold in half pipe and slope style that year. So that's a cool one. Actually, that was in 1998. Sorry. I'd say one of my proudest other moments is just being able to ride up the lift with my daughters and have them snowboard down with me, which uh, that was always. That's always a cool one. You go through all those times of kind of carrying them and getting them dressed and, and then when they can actually ride down and have fun with you. And that's, that's a great time getting out and riding with them. <laughs> Tell me about it. I love it because my kids are like trapped on the chairlift, right? So we have to have conversation and I, I just, I, <laughs> I, I cherish, I cherish those, uh, those times. And that was where I was going to go with the next question. You know, where does snowboarding fit into your life now? So right now, um, you know, pretty much at that time in my life where I like to say family and work. I mean, that's I got even I get out and do some fun stuff here and there. But uh, you know, I'm just at that time where, yeah, my wife Marissa, she's teaching kindergarten at the uh, local school, the Mountain School. Uh, my oldest daughter Victoria is 15, and she's a sophomore at Stratton Mountain School in my snowboard program. And then uh, my younger daughter, Meredith, is 11 and she's uh, in sixth grade down at the, the mountain school where my wife works. Working at Stratton Mountain School, just busy there, getting the team ready for winter. Actually, today was the first day of our winter schedule. Unfortunately, no local mountains open quite yet. Mount Snow is open over the weekend, but um, not during the week this week. And uh, so once there's snow, I mean, I'm on the hill with the kids probably five to seven days a week. You know, sometimes I'm just there coaching them, videoing them. Sometimes I'm out pushing it hard, hitting the jumps, riding board across with them, whatever it is, and uh, riding the half pipe. I mean, I have a snowboard on my feet probably, I'd say an average about five days a week during the winter. And yeah, enjoy working with the kids, trying to get them to improve, kind of get that same feeling I used to when they learn a new trick, accomplish a goal, get on a podium, whatever it is. So yeah, it's great to be able to still shred and be out with the the kids and, you know, making an impact hopefully on, on their lives and giving them the opportunities to improve their snowboarding and progress as much as possible. Yeah, so cool. Where's the like one place that you you still want to ride? What's on the Ross Powers bucket list as far as a place to hit on your snowboard? Oh gosh, I have so so many still. Um, I I still haven't even been to Jay Peak in Vermont. I hear with some good snow, that's fun. I need to get out to Mount Baker another time. I went out there once for the bank slalom and you know fell during my runs that really counted. I made it to the finals, but I didn't perform like I would have liked to. Um, you know, it's not all about that. It's about the experience out there, but I do want to some redemption there. You know, I'd love to get back to Japan someday and ride some powder. It's been a long time, but uh, I've never, I don't think I've made it to Kaido. That's really popular over there. That'd be fun. And then uh, someday I'd like to get up to Alaska. I've never, never had that experience. So that'd be really cool. Yeah. And so what is your favorite? I mean, I know you're probably going to say, I love it all, but I mean, do you prefer to get really, you know, really steep, like in some of those Alaskan mountains? Do you like the powder through the, the Japanese trees? I mean, what's kind of the Ross Powers forte? Gosh, I used to always say it would be riding powder in the morning and then a freshly groomed park and pipe in the afternoon. And I guess I'd probably still agree with that. I definitely, you know, get out there and ride quite a bit, but being on the East Coast, even though we had some amazing powder days last year, I, I'd like to get out and a little bit steeper pow a little more. That would be, I'm not really doing as much competitions anymore, mostly coaching, but I do the Vermont Open every spring with the kids. Uh, it's an event that kind of hasn't really taken the place of the U.S. Open, but it, it keeps you know people coming back and having a good time and so that's uh that's fun i do that with the kids and then a couple bank slaloms a year that's kind of where my riding is now um you know pushing myself through a bank course and sometimes i'll have little jumps and stuff like that so 
um, I definitely enjoy those. I think getting together with people and just pushing myself, um, that's always fun. As we get closer to the end here, I mean, I have one question for you. Like, what do you love about snowboarding? I love just the the feeling of snowboarding, being outside, you know, always trying to improve anything you learn going forward. You also want to learn going backwards, or if you learn spinning front side, you got to learn spinning backside. And so there's always room for improvement and, you know, being out there, I think it's a sport, at least when we got into it, it was just a sport we got in because we loved it. So, you know, just being out there and just the, the friendships you make and all over the world and just, you know, people that are into the same thing or you are and just go out and have a good time and kind of ride with anyone and, and enjoy it. And a question we ask of everyone that comes on the show, if you ran into your 20-year-old self, what would uh, that 20-year-old say to you if they ran into you today? Those days kind of flew by and were so busy and fun and snowboard focused. And I think my 20-year-old self would be proud of myself today, you know, have a family, a wife, two great daughters, um, you know, doing a job that I like, still part of snowboarding, uh, still really follow the sport and what's going on and 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 love it. So, uh, you know, still get out and do some adventures and other sports, enjoy, you know, all kinds of stuff from mountain biking to golf to riding motorcycles to getting back into a little hunting now. That was something I got into when I was real young, but it was always opening day at the mountain or hunting season. And it was always a uh, opening day at the mountain for me, but it's uh, something my brother's big into. So getting back into that a little bit and just, yeah, enjoying the outdoors and, and trying to, t- I know how fast it goes. So just trying to <laughs> do as much as I can. Yeah. I'm sure that 20 year old would think you were, you're doing all right. You know, thanks Ross. I, I appreciate it so much. And thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. Yeah, Mark, thanks for having me, man. We'll have to get out and take some turns sometime and look forward to seeing you. And that's Ross Powers. If you'd like to learn more about the Ross Powers Foundation or the Level Field Fund and supporting other athletes in your sport of choice, you can check it out and get involved at www.rosspowersfoundation.org. We will also link to all the resources talked about on today's show in the show notes. And you better believe I'm going to take Ross up on his offer to catch some turns next time he's out here in Colorado. And now that I've got my first Olympian and Olympic medalist under my interview belt, it's time to actually go ride with one. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny. Baby got backstory. You'll also find free story downloads and resources to help you integrate the power of story into your business. 